In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Welcome back to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. And I'm Danny Murphy. And Sarah, can you let everybody know why this is a very special episode this week? Yes, it is so special. We have a really great guest, journalist, host of the super popular podcast, The Retrievals, Susan Burden. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you both so much for having me. Before we get started, we have to just get into this question that Danny and I were texting about before. How does everyone at NPR have an amazing voice. Do they filter out for voice? <laughs> well, first of all, as as you may know, so like serial isn't it, it seems like it's part of NPR, but but in this American life, but actually not part of NPR. But I'm often very insecure about about my voice. So it's it's very nice of you to to say that. I don't always feel like a natural sort of audio uh like I have a natural audio voice. Oh my god, no, it's literally like I feel like when I was listening, like your voice just made me feel like I was like engulfed in a book and I was just sitting on my couch being like, okay, I feel I also felt so smart. Like I'm like, <laughs> I feel like Susan's smart. So I'm feeling smart by association. So I really appreciate your voice for that. <laughs> well, that's that's so nice to hear. And it was so much fun. I mean, there was a lot to read in the podcast. You know, there were some episodes that had a lot of tape and some episodes that had less tape. So uh, so there there was a lot to read. So I did. And I had fun with with some of that performance for sure. And also because we're talking all about your new podcast. And I read an article that you found, like you first stumbled upon the story by just like reading a local news outlet and kind of being like, Huh. Can you talk about kind of like discovering all of this, like, and let our listeners know, like, how that journey started? For sure. So it was um, a Friday night in November of 2021. I was home from work. It was late. I was sitting on the couch. I was just like scrolling through my iPhone and, you know, I have Chrome on my phone and there's that discover feature and a link to a local news story um, about this clinic came up. I can't remember exactly if it was like a local TV story or if it was a New Haven Register story, but the story said that seven patients had just filed a lawsuit against Yale. And and the story just sort of like told the basic outlines of the situation. Like there was a nurse at this clinic who had been stealing fentanyl and replacing it with saline. Um, and Immediately, I mean, I was just drawn to so many elements of this story, to um, to the experience of pain, to these patients who had um, longed to have children, to this nurse whose you know need for the drug had collided with their need to become parents, yeah. uh, you know, to addiction, trust, betrayal. There were just so many layers here. I was just so curious about what had happened and how it felt to all involved, um, and. And that was a Friday night. And by the next morning, I'd already, you know, downloaded every available legal document about the nurse's criminal case and had emailed the lawyers representing the patients in their civil suit against Yale. Um, and and in the months that followed, just started interviewing people. Wow. So I guess like 
I what I really appreciate about the podcast, I feel, is that right at the beginning, episode one, where like a nurse was stealing the fentanyl. And I feel like a lot of other podcasts could have made it into like this big mystery of like what is causing this, but you just cut right to the chase. And I feel like even within the first couple of minutes, there's this patient who was like, yeah, I figured it out right away. So can you talk about your approach to just writing the story and why you even told it this way? Yeah. I mean, it's such a good question. And it it wasn't like, you know, the answer to that wasn't obvious immediately. Like there were, there was a point where I was figuring out how to structure episode one. And, and like you said, it's, it's within like the first, you know, 12 or so minutes that we learned that a nurse was, was stealing the fentanyl. And there was another version of that where that reveal could have happened at the, at the very end of, of episode one. Um, but, but I think that the thing was there was still there were still so many layers of mystery as far as like you know what why the nurse did what she did um the the patients sort of like reflecting on their own experiences the stories they told themselves about the pain like you know there were months before they knew what had happened to them and so they could still be reflecting on kind of that not knowing um like that that feeling of not knowing i i guess i felt like it could still be preserved even if we had the actual information about about what had happened. That was kind of the reason for that choice. And I feel it's almost makes uh, everybody just kind of like jump in and get hooked so much more quickly because it is such a captivating story. And I feel it tackles two major topics in our society that sometimes like everyone knows they're big topics, but they sometimes get brushed away, which is like addiction and also like women's health and how so many you hear so many stories, like not always to degrees like this, but sometimes even to different degrees where it's just like, women will say they're going to the doctor and their doctor's like, you're fine. Or they're just like, oh, and they're like, they don't, they don't want to complain and everything like that. So I feel it really is, were you kind of shocked at the intersection that you're like, oh, this is kind of tackling so many things that we need to be talking about? Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that that makes it such, uh, it made it such a compelling story to report. And, and I do think makes it a compelling story to listen to is that there are so many layers. I mean, when I started interviewing the patients, I was struck by the echoes in their stories, not only in terms of like, I, you know, went to the clinic for this egg retrieval and I had pain, but the echoes in their experience as far as the feeling of being ignored, being dismissed, having the pain being minimized. Um, so, so that, that similarity was, was, was really apparent right away and was kind of the emotional heart of, of most of these patients' stories for sure. I was glad that IUDs kind of got brought up at the end, even briefly, just because there's so much pain that women are expected to deal with. And it is taken for granted that we will like an IUD. I mean, I don't know. I don't understand how anyone couldn't feel like a a lot of pain from that procedure, honestly speaking, personally. I mean, as soon as the series started releasing, I started getting emails from patients who'd had, you know, various experiences of pain in the healthcare system, often of inadequately treated or unacknowledged pain. And IUD insertions, I mean, I just got so many emails about IUD insertions, which are seem to be one of the most undermedicated procedures around. Um, you know, the, the example I use um, at the end of episode five was from a patient who said, she went to this clinic and and she just had this like unbearable insertion 
And at the end, a nurse told her, you know, well, some patients are just able to describe their whole dream vacation and, you know, don't even know the insertion was happening. And she was just like, no. that is insane. That is insane. Uh, okay. This is also, uh, if that was, that, that probably was also in Connecticut because that would not fly in a New Jersey clinic. Let me tell you that much. If someone said, oh, you're in pain, just just rub your dream vacation. It would not be there. But I feel that's also, especially with like egg retrieval and everything, because some of my friends have gone through the process of like freezing their eggs and everything. And just like the uh, emotional, because it's such an emotional process too, on top of being like a literal preparation and a medical procedure. And then like, having to do all these shots and a lot of women have to like sometimes are doing it on their own too so you just kind of go in with so much around it and I feel it kind of leads them to kind of end in situations like this where you hope that maybe the only people you can really lean on like besides your friends of course is the healthcare system and then when it's clearly failing you you're sort of like where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, it's such an important point. Like the experience of being a fertility patient is is so just emotional, emotionally and physically demanding. Um, and it's a process over which you don't always have a lot of control. You know, it's a really like elaborate procedure. And it's not like you can just like Google it and do it yourself. Like you're really dependent on on your team of healthcare providers and they need to be people that, that you trust um, and, and and, you know, and I think it can be especially hard to speak up about something that you feel is going wrong when this is something that you're putting so much time and money into and that you want so badly. Um, and it's such a, you know, a time sensitive thing too, right? Like um, not only the the egg retrieval procedure itself, but but all of the 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 everything that leads up to it is is so precisely timed. Well, one thing that actually struck me was how many of the women that you spoke to either worked in like addiction recovery or research or medicine like and still were not believed I mean I I think that uh it was it was so interesting so the the I spoke initially to 12 patients and a bunch of them had these like areas of professional expertise that aligned with with what happened here including one patient who who's a neuroscientist at Yale whose research specialty is addiction and and she's the one who you know initially when she was having her very painful retrieval had this like vision almost as as it was happening like the nurse is stealing the fentanyl and it, and it wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't like some thing she deduced from evidence that was like happening in the moment, but, but it, it was more of a vision. But at the same time, you know, she knew from her own research that, you know, fentanyl is the most diverted drug in healthcare settings and, and a major driver of the, of the opioid crisis. Um, so, you know, so there's, there's, she's reporting her pain, you know, she's saying, I feel like the anesthesia did not work, but at the same time, she's also sort of doubting her own experience and saying, well, you know, nobody around me is acknowledging that that I was in so much pain and the nurse is is hypothesizing that I was in so much pain because I got so many eggs so you know maybe there's another story for why I was in pain maybe it has to do with you know the fact when I got my wisdom teeth pulled years ago I you know wasn't wasn't sensitive to to whatever painkiller I was given then and so she like like a bunch of the other patients had this alternate story that like placed the blame on you know, on some aspect of herself, on, on her own body. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You dive deep into a bunch of different topics and stories kind of in the world, but you also have like written memoirs and write about yourself. Do you go about the approaches for that differently, like writing about self and writing about others? Do you have a similar process? It's always the same. Like how can you like walk us through your process a little bit? Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. How my, how my process, uh, is, is, is different. I mean, I think that with, um, you know, when you're writing about yourself, like it's, it's, it's in there and you're just sort of dumping it out. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I, I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is too obvious a difference, but, but it, it took me, you know, it, it, it sort of takes longer to, um, to really sort of internalize and 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 get a sense of of other people's stories and experiences and all the context for it before I start writing. So so I'd say yeah, there's there's just a, a ton more of research and reporting before I'm I'm ready to um to to start writing. But but then as far as kind of like the nuts and bolts of my process, th- that's that's basically the same, which is just sort of getting out like a very, very messy first draft and then refining <laughs> and refining and refining, you know? Absolutely. I feel like when it came to this story, okay, I mean, there were just so many moments. I was literally listening to episode five on a walk and I'll tell you the part later, but I just went, what? like out loud in public. And there were so many moments like that. Was there one moment that surprised you the most in the reporting of this? 
Oh, gosh, one moment that surprised me the most. Um, I mean, I will say I I did have... Uh, I mean, I, I had that that experience that you're describing, like the what, like <laughs> as I was doing interviews. And there's one, the, the the one that's coming immediately to mind is actually one that that you could hear in in tape in in episode five. But it's at the very beginning of episode five, and there was a patient named Isha, and Isha told me about going to like a, she, you know, so she had fertility treatment, she you know had a successful embryo transfer, got pregnant, had twins, and then she was at a postpartum appointment, a follow up with her OB. And, uh, and Isha was talking about like how she was involved in this lawsuit and she'd been, a, you know, a victim of the, the fentanyl diversion. And, and her OB was like, well, what's the big deal? You got pregnant. <gasps> and I was yeah. just like, <laughs> like, oh my God. And so uh, that was, that was for me, that was like my, wait, what? That's what somebody said to you after the fact, as if that's the only thing that mattered. So that was like a very, your doctor. Yeah. Your doctor, and also mo- modern medicine. You're like the what that I was in excruciating pain, and that no one checked on anything for anything. But okay, sure. Like what? The- yeah. It, it, how, how do you go back to that doctor too? Yeah. Well, maybe you go back to yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's up to another doctor when you have your your next baby or whatever. Oh. But it, it, exactly, just like how you know, as if like the only thing that matters is that you had a baby and not everything that happened leading up to it. I mean, I know the term gaslighting gets thrown around a lot in popular culture, but this does just feel like a true example of it. I mean, yeah. I mean, the the term, you know, medical gaslighting. I mean, I don't. I actually don't know how many. Um, you know, has has gaslighting been adopted? Like, are there other fields in which, like, there's you know a word mm. before gaslighting? But but medical gaslighting mm-hmm. is is definitely something that people have written about and tried to name and. Um, you know, and I, I think there's there's a range of definitions. Like I think the most kind of literal definition would be somebody, you know, telling you that you are not in pain when you are, um, or that and and that is something that you know, so the the nurse in this story, right? The nurse who was diverting the fentanyl, the, there is a moment, for example, when when one patient um asked that nurse, so the nurse's name is Donna. So there was a patient who was in excruciating pain after her retrieval. And she said to Donna in the recovery room, she said, is it normal to be in this much pain? And Donna said, yes. So, so, you know, I, I like that, that's something that does fit the definition of medical gaslighting, right? Because, because she's, she's telling the patient something that's just not true. I feel car mechanic gaslighting could also be a thing. I'm just very bad at cars, so I feel like whenever they're like, this this like wire's messed up, I'm like, I guess I now give you my entire savings account. <laughs> but that might just be more me being dumb. I love it. I love it. I also feel like, and I appreciated that this got brought up like a few times throughout the podcast, but just how this experience is different for um, white and black women and how it's so much worse for black women and you did speak to one patient at the clinic who was black. So what was like, I guess, yeah, why did you feel like it was important to bring that into it? So black women are, their pain is, is often, you know, there's, there's a, there's a particularly well-known study where the pain of black patients um, is underestimated, you know, compared to the, the pain of patients of other races. And, and I, I think that when I was putting that episode one together 
and you're hearing from a lot of of white women, it just felt very important to acknowledge that this is an experience that black women and and other women of color have have all the time. Um, and and as I said, there was one black patient in the group of patients I talked to. And the place where race really came up most prominently in the five episodes is during the nurse's sentencing hearing where the nurse oh, yeah. receives, you know, a, a really uh, kind of unusual and light sentence that, uh, that you know, it was many patients reflected on if, if she were not white, like, would the outcome have been a lot different? That was a true Felicity yeah. <laughs> Huffman moment. I feel like that was one of those what moments when I was listening to the podcast. A oh, true yeah, twist. She got a little Olivia Jade. They were just like you. Your makeup line got taken away, type of thing, versus <laughs> what would happen in other extreme cases. And I feel that also because, like you were saying, I it brings up such a point because people also go in to because going to a hospital if you're not working in the medical field, it's just for the most part I assume brings a level of anxiety because you're like, this is not my comfort zone. This is a place where people die. And this is a place where I don't really know anything. So you kind of have to give yourself a full on trust to the person that is talking to you because you're like, I have to go in. You almost want to blindly go in with the assumption that they're taking care of me. But like we've learned study after study that they really just, even medical professionals, when they have the training from that degree, they still have a lens where they like, have judgment, maybe even not even knowing they have judgment, but it just kind of is really changing the way they're giving treatment and messing up patients. And do you feel like, how do you feel about like the way that medical professionals, even just like from this or from more things like go about like their relationships with their patients? So the, the series was really tightly focused on, you know, these Mm -hmm. patients and, and this clinic and, um, and because of this ongoing litigation against Yale, the the healthcare professionals I talked to from this clinic were all, you know, on background sources. Uh, and and I, I really wish that had been different because I really would have loved to include the perspectives of of healthcare providers in yeah. in in the series because you know even at this clinic right of course it's not it's not a monolith like the the clinic was not um full of of you know doctors who just didn't care right obviously there 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 were there were people there who who cared deeply about these patients and who mm-hmm. were troubled by what happened um and and i think that that there are you know there are two people in this interaction right there's the patient and then there's the healthcare provider and it's it's really interesting to document the perspective of the healthcare provider. You know, there was a a doctor I talked to, you know, like an an expert um, whose whose tape isn't isn't in the story, not somebody from Yale, but she's a doctor who thinks a lot. She's a gynecologist, an OBGYN, and she thinks a lot about gynecological procedure pain. And it was just so interesting to to hear about her experience as a doctor and how she approaches it with patients. And and her approach is basically like she she talks about the pain with the talks about possible pain with patients before any procedure. And here are like the range of ways we can treat this pain. And here's what to expect. 
and what would you want and 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 helps the patient feel in control because i think that's often the thing that's so scary about being a patient is just feeling like okay this thing is about to happen to me and like i'm totally vulnerable and i just have to submit and and it just really helps i think to to be able to to be with a provider who who helps you feel more in control and who gives you some some of that control totally Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Also, because I was reading just like kind of like I just like, you know, I had a Susan week diving into everything and I loved I really now like I ordered your memoir online because I'm so curious to read about it because you just seems from the blurbs I was reading that you talk so openly about uh, your recovery and your with binge eating and everything. And I just wondered when you were unpacking this story, did that were there any moments of it where you kind of like in going through the process of recovery for that? when you were dealing with like medical professionals or everything, like if there were like parallels to the relationships of trying to like uncover that, because that's also is a topic that it affects everybody, but you hear a lot of like women struggling with eating disorders and eating issues or just people struggling with that and not always getting heard from doctors. Like, I mean, even when I go to doctors, sometimes so many times like lose weight and you'll be fine. And I'm like, okay, but oh, anything else? So I was just, I was just kind of curious if you kind of felt parallels from your own experience. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so, so my memoir empty is about, um, my history of binge eating disorder and anorexia. And I mean, I think like the first thing that comes to mind when I think about how it relates to the retrievals is just the experience of, of women's bodies, of being in a body. Like I'm, I'm very interested and, and drawn to stories about um, about women's bodies and how they they shape our experience in the world um, and. It, but as as far as interactions I've had with doctors, I mean, you know, definitely situations where um, I think maybe in terms of like my own sort of uh, advocacy for my own health and my knowledge mm. about what I need. So, for example, like um, something that a lot of people with with or without eating disorders will tell you is, you know, when you go to the doctor, like getting on the scale and seeing that number can be really upsetting or triggering or just unnecessary, right? And so, so now when I go to the doctor, um, I will say, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to stand on the scale backwards. Um, you know, another choice you could make is just not to get on the scale at all. If, if you, if you don't feel you need to be weighed. Um, but I haven't in my own, like, you know, eating disorder history, I don't think I've had an experience of a doctor, like just really, you know, sort of not, not listening. I mean, maybe, maybe experiences of doctors sort of not, 
seeing um, mm. how you know un, un, unhealthy I was, but but that was sort of a lot of of me actively like wanting to hide um, mm. what what I was was feeling and, and doing rather than somebody sort of you know overlooking pain that I was reporting. And I love you saying that because I feel that is I mean obviously of course this uh, uh, your podcast covers. Uh, the different scale of it, but when you're taught, when you're going to your doctor, your primary care physician, they're for the most part, hopefully they're on your side and it's all great. So I love that you were saying like, I'm going to step backwards. Like, and I feel like that's such a great thing of self-advocation and just kind of being able to realize, cause it is kind of the thing. And I think it is just a part of maybe growing up or some people are more attuned to it that, or have the uh, agency to do it more than others. But I feel like, like walking into those situations and being like, Oh, I have a say in this, even though it's not my expertise and I'm really much not in my, uh, field of anything right now. I don't know what any of the things around this wait uh, hospital room do, but I can still advocate for myself and my body in these situations. Totally, totally. So I feel like the the podcast has been so popular and it's such an important story people need to listen to. Even in the last episode, you had gotten an email from someone with more information. Are there any other yeah. updates that have come out since the last episode? Oh gosh, let's see. I mean, I I am thinking a lot about, you know, about what's next for the story and about what that would be. I mentioned in episode 5 that the settlement negotiations with with the lawsuit are are scheduled to start this month and and that's that's still as far as I know still scheduled to happen, I think August 31st, so at the very end of this month. Um but as far as like I haven't, you know, I don't have um I've continued to get lots of emails from, from listeners but uh but there's no like you know clinic source that's come out and and you know told an insider story that um that you know i i, I didn't i didn't tell in, in one of the five episodes yet or anything like that totally but we'll keep an eye i mean depending how the settlement goes i guess probably going to be confidential but who knows yeah who knows i i mean it'll be really interesting to uh to to find out i mean i i i don't i don't have i don't really know any details of you know of what might happen um and sometimes with settlements there are agreements for some kind of you know transparency or document release but but i have no idea if that's realistic or or something that that might happen in this one and i feel i was just kind of i had almost my own like jaw drop moment when I was researching I was like oh my god and she went to Yale too I was like this is feeling the layers of it all I feel like that must have been just like even more crazy and I because I feel in so much of um the episode one instruction you're like the and they were even saying it's like the name you just inherently trust the name like it's it's Yale it's you think of the amazing institution and those locks that lock so well like you can't (laughs) you you know what I mean and I so I love that you even kind of uh throughout it have like that firsthand experience of uh, the institution too. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's definitely part of what drew me to the story is just sort of, you know, being familiar with that, that landscape and, and that world. And then, and then also, you know, Yale has a lot of real and symbolic power as an institution. Um, and, and, and that was, that was really fascinating to me too. You know, it's, it's also, it's just a giant institution. Like I went to, to college at Yale and, and didn't, you know, I had some experience with the Yale health system, but not a lot, but it's just, I graduated from college in, in 1995 and, and in the years since, uh, you know, this, the, the Yale health system has just grown bigger and bigger. It's the, it's the largest, I believe it's the largest healthcare 
employer in Connecticut, maybe the largest healthcare system in Connecticut. So it's it's just a you know a, a massive a massive name if if you live in Connecticut in terms of healthcare. And as a complete aside, Claire's cornucopia there it has my favorite carrot cake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, I spent so much time at Claire's. Those like little mini loaves of bread that came with the soup. I think there was a cake called, um, oh, I think it was called the trifle or something, but it was like, I I can't even remember what it was, but it was like so rich and chocolatey. And anyway, I love it that you know Claire's. Oh yes. It's so good. (laughs) Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for your interest in, in the retrievals. It was really fun to talk to you guys about it. Oh, it was, and it's so beautifully well done and so important. And I feel everybody who listens to our podcast will, is, they probably are like, they probably already are listening to it. But if they have not, we highly, highly recommend you start right now. Definitely check out the retrievals wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to us right now. By the way, did we mention it's a serial production? So there we go. I feel like uh, I every, mean, there you're going to love it. It's, you know, get get your bowl of milk. It's a cereal production. <laughs> get all into it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and wherever you are listening to this, after you subscribe to her podcast, give us five stars. You know, rate, review, and follow us all around town. And also, obviously, join our Facebook group, which is always so much fun. Not in the True Crime group. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah Lameem and also follow the podcast at Not Another True Crime. And you can follow me at Cashmere Danny, Cashmere the K. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales-Pico, Sean Kilby, and Rebecca Sosmacat. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at Not Another True Crime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send all of your emails to natc at betches.com. Betches.